0: Revelation chapter number two, Revelation chapter two. And um, and yeah, there there is always the fear. Like if people find out the pastor is not going to be here, as, as Brother Nate mentioned this morning, the pastor is not going to be here, and then you tell people who is speaking. There's a fear. Is anybody going to come? Uh, and and I thank you that you're here this evening. Uh, we're so glad to have you here. And uh, you know that reminds me of the story. There was a uh, there was a preacher in a small town and. It was common practice for the local newspaper to print that week his sermon title for the upcoming Sunday. And so uh, he sent in his sermon title to the newspaper one week and uh, had a big crowd at church. And so on Monday, he called the newspaper and he said, uh, I want to thank you. Uh, you guys made a mistake printing the title of my message. And they said, oh, we're so sorry, Pastor. We, uh, I don't know what happened. We're so sorry. He said, no, 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 it's okay. Um, he said, uh, uh, "What?" The, the title that I sent you was What Jesus Saw in a Publican, and you guys at the newspaper printed What Jesus Saw in a Republican. Like, we had so many people at church. It was, was a great, wonderful mistake, so, uh, so even though you may have come tonight, not knowing that Jeremiah wasn't here, I'm so glad you're here. It may have been a mistake, but I'm glad you're here anyway, so... Uh, Revelation chapter number 2, we're going to read a few verses of Scripture this, uh, this evening. And uh, a very familiar passage of Scripture. This is not going to be any kind of a message that is uh, a great, groundbreaking, revival, shaking type of a message. But I hope it's one that will be a, a help to you and a blessing uh, to you here at Central. Revelation chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write... These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in, the, in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Verse number two. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hath labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest indeed to the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give, to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray together. our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our opportunity uh, to meet together in church tonight. We thank you that we have the opportunity to, uh, to open the word of God, and, and we have the freedom uh, to hear from you tonight. And I pray that you would speak through the message this evening to our hearts. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to, to hear what you would have us to hear tonight. Help us to be faithful hearers, and not just hearers only, but doers of your word. And I pray that you bless our time together now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, in this chapter, we see the beginning of seven letters uh, to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and these are there are different ways to look at these letters that came to these churches. You have the Church of Ephesus, and Smyrna, and Thyatira, and Laodicea, and so on. And we have all these letters that we can look at, and there are different ways to look at them. We can look at them prophetically, and many people do, and that's a wonderful thing. We see the prophecies that the Lord is giving us uh, uh, through these letters that John has written. We can study them uh, personally. Verse number seven, we just read it. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. There's a personal message for each one of us in these letters, and uh, and we uh, we ought to read Scripture certainly for our own profit. But you can also study these letters practically, and this is kind of what I want to do tonight: is look at this. One passage of scripture, this one letter written to the church of Ephesus and uh, really understand what the Lord was telling them in that day. And how do we study them practically? Well, first of all, we understand there was actually a church at Ephesus. This place existed. It was a city that was uh, a very prominent city in the world at the time. The church actually existed. Uh, This letter was written to actual true Christians in that first century church. And uh, not only do you see the church then when you read these letters... But you also see the churches today. We can take take these letters and you can read through them and you can kind of of figure out where the Lord is speaking, who the Lord is speaking to through these letters. So we're going to look at the practical message here uh, from the book of Revelation to the local churches. Uh, God said to John in chapters 2 and 3, he said, Write the things which are. Now that's present tense. Write the things which are presently taking place. Since the Lord's gone back to heaven, this is is all introductory, and these are things that we know, but we want to establish this good, solid foundation before we move on. Since the Lord's gone back to heaven, the Spirit of God has been working in and through local churches to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we can never forget the importance of church, the importance of meeting together as a local body. We are a called-out assembly. We are to assemble together. And the fact that you're here tonight shows that that's an important thing to you, and that's a great uh, testimony on your behalf. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.15, The church is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, it's not saying that the church is the truth or whatever the church says is the truth. No, but we are the ones who are to be the pillar and ground. We're to be upholding the truth. We're to be teaching the practical truths, the relevant truths of God's word, and all of it is practical and all of it's relevant. We're to teach the truths of of God's word, and we're to uphold that. So as a church, if we are not upholding the truth and the foundational principles of God's word, we're not doing what we're called to do, and therefore society is going to suffer. And we see that taking place in our world today. Well, Brent, what's going on in the world? Why are things crazy? Because churches are nuts. That's why. Because churches typically are not doing what they have been called to do. We are to be the pillar and ground of the truth. God is working, and through his church, he wants to get his message of grace and salvation to all men. Now, back to the city of Ephesus here. What do we know about the city of Ephesus? The city of Ephesus was an important, a very important city in the first century. It was an important city uh, commercially. It was located on the Caesarea River, just a few miles inland from the Aegean Sea. It had perfect access to the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, this was a city that was uh, uh, known for its magnificent harbor. The harbor at Ephesus was one that was very well-traveled. There were leading highways all over Asia Minor that came to Ephesus because of the port. And uh, it was a very, very wealthy, prominent city. I mean, people were shopping at all kinds of places and haberdasheries and all kinds of things everywhere in that city. It was important commercially. It was also important politically. This was a free city. They were given rights by the Roman Empire to be able to keep most of their own local laws. They were able to keep things uh, established in the way that, uh, that they had already been established. As long as they were submissive to the Roman Empire, paid their taxes, Rome kind of gave them a lot of liberty in how they governed themselves. It was a city that was important religiously. The great the Bible tells, calls it the, the Temple of Diana. This was the uh, uh, Greek goddess of Artemis, and this temple was in Ephesus. This is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and this was a beautiful, just magnificent place. And it was a place where many people came to worship. So this city was one, the Temple of, of Diana, of Artemis here, this was a place that was set aside as a safe haven for criminals. So if you've committed crimes and you're running from the law, uh, this was a place that you could go and have safe, safe haven. So in the city of Ephesus, now think about this. Now, it's a port city, which means there's a lot of money changing hands. And along with that, there are a lot of unruly, really just bad people there. The worship at the temple of Diana, Diana, the goddess Artemis, was the goddess of fertility. The worship of Diana was extremely, extremely vulgar and indecent and very wicked. Then you have this temple here that is also a haven for criminals. So the city is a place where you have filthy religious worship going on. You have people traveling in literally from all over the world, uh, uh, seafarers, merchants, and those types of things, Uh, not great quality people coming in from all over the world, traveling in and out. And then you have a place that's known for being a safe haven for people who commit crime. So it's in this city that the gospel came. The Lord established a church in this city. This is not the message, but may we never forget what God has called us to do in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It's not just to meet together every Sunday and Wednesday night and just get together with our friends and hang out for a little bit and think about how bad the world is. No, Our job is to go out and reach people in our community. Those people who have broken laws. Those people who are living a wicked, filthy lifestyle. Those people who are maybe uh, uh, wayfarers and people just traveling in and out of the area and people that, are, that, are, that we would look at and society would look down on. These are the people we are supposed to reach. When one of those people comes into our church door, we, didn't, we ought not look at them, give them a side eye, look at them like, well, what are you doing here? These are the people we're the welcome. They need the gospel. Amen. Now, we've learned this in Colorado, man, I'm telling you. It's crazy. We, I think I mentioned this before, but there are not a whole lot of churches there. This last November, we had the, the election. We had, of course, the national election, and then we had a, a local, local things on the ballot, local uh, issues to vote on. For the first time in my life, I mean, I went and voted literally, Everything we voted for failed. Everything we voted against passed. Everything. I mean every there was about there was about I guess about 12 or 15 things on the ballot that we voted for and I lost everything. I'm glad I didn't play the lottery that day. I was not winning anything on that day. We lost everything. There's a there's a it was just a it was another moment of revelation that this is a city that does not have the first idea of who God is and what God desires. For this, for this area. You know, there are people all over, and it's not just Colorado, it's Mississippi. I mentioned it at Sunday school this morning. If you think all the stuff going on in California is never gonna come here, wake up. It's coming, it's coming. It's gonna get here a little slow. It's gonna take the slow train to Hattiesburg, but it's coming to Mississippi. Everything that's going on in the world is moving this way. It's a very wicked world. That's not to discourage you. That's for us to understand what we are doing is important. We're to be the pillar and ground of the truth in a world that is looking for hope in a world that is looking for truth. And as bad as the world is getting, there are more and more people in society saying, I know that's not right. What really is truth? And they're looking, and that's where we come in. We're to be a church that's doing our job, reaching our city, reaching people with the gospel of Christ. So this is the kind of city that the gospel was brought to. You know, sometimes people say, you know, uh, you can't be a good Christian in, in 2021. Well, look, Our world is crazy, and things are bad. There's a lot of wickedness in this world. But when you compare our world today to the city of Ephesus in the first century, it really doesn't quite compare. This was a city that was well far more, much more wicked, well far beyond where we are in America today. And yet in their day, there was a church. There was a group of Christians. There were people who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are great gospel witness. There was a wonderful church established there. So if they can establish a church in the first century Ephesus, we certainly can live for the Lord in 2021 America. So Paul comes and he plants a church in the city of Ephesus. So if you read the book of Acts, you go from Acts 18, 19, 20, this is where Paul's establishing the church at Ephesus. And it's no secret what he did. The Bible says in Acts 20, 20, I have taught you publicly, Paul says, and from house to house. And Paul was going around meeting people. He was witnessing to people. He was giving people the gospel. He was taking Jesus, and he was putting that together with building relationships with people, and he's putting them together, and he was seeing great revival take place in a city that was extremely filthy and extremely wicked. Now we get to the book of Revelation. Now 30 years have passed. The Lord writes a letter to this church, a church that had tremendous reputation. Now think about Ephesus. Who were the pastors of the church at Ephesus? Paul started the church. Apollos, who we read about in Scripture, was a pastor at the church of Ephesus. Timothy was a pastor there. And the beloved John, who wrote the book of Revelation. These men were former pastors of this great church. It had a tremendous, tremendous reputation. And the Lord says in verse number one, he says, I'm walking in the midst of these golden candlesticks. That's a, uh, a phrase he's using to define churches. These churches and the church at Ephesus had a need to discover, rediscover the presence of Jesus. So as we read this passage of Scripture... The the Lord does basically three things here. He tells them the positive news, then he tells them the negative news, then he tells them how to fix it. Those are your three points tonight, okay? Positive, negative, and how you're gonna fix it, okay? So, with that in mind, let's look at these three main points to the letter at Ephesus. Look at verse number two again. Paul says in verse number two, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Church at Ephesus was a busy church, it was an active church. If you went to the First Baptist Church of Ephesus, you would have seen that there were a lot of things going on. There were meetings. uh, There were services going on. People were active, serving in different areas and different ministries around the church. Uh, Things were happening. Look, if you got to their announcements in the service, I mean, that took a long time going through all the things that they had for kids' programs, all the things that they had for the senior saints, all the things that they had for the uh, married couples, young married couples, old married couples, uh, for, for all the teenagers. All the activities going on took up a lot of time. By the way, everybody who's complaining about announcements in church, there's no good place to put announcements in church. I mean, look, I made them for years here, and none of y'all listened to anything. We would get home, I'd make all these announcements, and I'd phrase things the right way. I'd try to shorten them up, and I'd get home. My wife say, what's this activity going on next week? I'm like, did you not hear the announcements? No. All right. Uh, look, you know, don't make fun of the announcement. There's no good place to put it in the service. It interrupts everything. Anyway, that's on a side point. But verse number two, Paul says, I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. Look at those three words. The church at Ephesus, man, they were a working, active congregation. And look, if you've been in church at any length of time, you understand that there's a lot of work that goes into make a church happen. Somebody asked me, this is years ago when we were here, somebody asked me, he said, what do you, sincere question, what do you do all week long? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, like when you come, do, do you just like, do you guys like Monday through Friday, you just plan Sunday service? like, that would be awesome. <laughs> That's what I thought I was signing up for. And then I uh, found out there are a lot of things that have to go on to make a church happen. Did you realize, I mean, somebody's got to come in here and vacuum the auditorium every week. And somebody's got to fix chairs. Somebody's got to clean the bathrooms. All the things that you complain about, somebody's got to fix, you know, uh, and we all see all the things that are out of order. All the ministries and programs and things going on have to be planned. There's a lot that has to be done uh, for a church to take place. Somebody's got to teach Sunday school classes. Somebody's got to visit. Somebody's got to pray. Somebody's got to plan the, uh, the messages and, and uh, somebody's got to get out there and cut the grass, where we come from, first week I was there uh, in Colorado, first week I was there, I met with one of the men on our staff, and he said, we have to have a meeting. I said, what's that? He said, we've got to talk about who's going to shovel the snow. For the first time in my life, I said, I've never been in a meeting where I had to sit down and figure out who's shoveling snow. I don't know who it is, it's just not me. So we've got to figure out who it is, and that guy's name is not me. So we will, we'll work that out. But there are so many things that have to be done for a church to function. And it's a tragedy that in most churches, the majority of the work is done by the minority of the people. But that was not the case in Ephesus. I mean, the Lord's telling them, man, I know your work, your labor, your patience, patience meaning endurance. Your reputation is strong. And, you know, if you're going to build a solid church and and grow a church for Christ, there has to be a, a price that is paid. And here's a church that knew what it was to work hard for Jesus. He says, I know thy patience. That word means endurance, as I just mentioned. The Greek word used here means to bear up under, to get up under. It means to get up under the load, to carry that load forward. I mean, what a tremendous thing to say about a church. I mean, you guys have the endurance. You're getting under the load of the ministry, of the work of spreading the gospel. You guys are getting under it, and you're getting after it. These were not on-again, off-again servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number three. And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. They didn't give up. They just stayed with it. And many of you people here at Central the same way. You've stayed with it. You're faithful. It's exciting to come back and see the same faces. And this morning, uh, it was great to meet new people, to see people that weren't here when we left. And there are new people coming, but to see the same familiar faces, the same places. Uh, I, I mentioned in our, our Sunday school class this morning, uh, last week we got uh, our Sunday school finally kicked back off in, in, uh, in Colorado. And, and getting the planning ready for that and getting all the details worked out to do that, I've, I've spent a lot of time the last few weeks really thinking, of all of you, uh, what classes you went to, the things that you're, you, uh, you know, you, you're being taught, who is doing the teaching, all of those things, and that those are great memories and wonderful things to think of. And you have a church at Ephesus that I think is very similar to the church at Central. People have stayed faithful. It takes a lot of people doing a lot of things to get the work of God done in this church. I know that. It's a lot of people doing their part to get the work of the ministry done here. Jesus commends the church of Ephesus for their dedication and their discipline. Look at verse 2. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. I mean, they had discipline in the church. They weren't putting up with all kind of evil stuff going on. I mean, people that were doing evil things, they were being called down on. People that were living in sin publicly, they were being called down. They were being dealt with. Uh, They did not condone uh, sin in their fellowship. They didn't condone doctrinal evil. Verse number 2. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And has found them liars. I mean, these people knew the Bible, and they knew the Bible they knew what the Bible taught and they knew what the Bible had to say. These are the kind of people who would when in Ephesus, would check the word of God. When Paul would preach, they would check the word of God that they had and make sure that what he was preaching falls in line with the other letters and scriptures that they already had. They would not tolerate doctrinal error. And it's a tremendous thing to be theologically correct. That's extremely important in our day. The devil will do everything he can to to minimize, to whittle away at doctrine. And so when you have a message that's full of doctrine, don't, don't fall asleep on that. Well, that's just not exciting. Sometimes it's not exciting in this delivery, but man, it's important. If we don't have doctrine, we don't have a foundation to stand on. That's the pillar and ground of the truth. What we believe about the virgin birth of Christ and why we believe it is vital to why we're meeting together tonight. What we believe about the blood of Jesus Christ is vital about for, for why we're even meeting together in a church service. So when you hear messages on doctrine, don't fall asleep on that. Don't say, well, that's not fun or exciting or I can't hoot and holler at all that kind of stuff. No, listen. Those are doctrinal things that are very, very vital. Notice in verse number six. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now look, we don't know exactly who the Nicolaitans were. We know the word Nicolaitan means to conquer the people. So it's widely accepted that these were people that were in uh, religious positions of authority. They were really driving the message of there being a difference between the church members and the laity. The, uh, the leaders of the church were to be more highly esteemed. They're to be treated differently and, uh, and, and almost to the degree that they were better people than, the, than, the, than just the regular uh, uh, church people. Uh, uh, that the church people and the leadership... Two different levels here. And, and this is something that uh, that the people of Ephesus stood against. They would, they would not allow there to be a distinction between the clergy and the laity. They would not allow there to be a division of people. Uh, they, they taught against, they would not tolerate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The church at Ephesus wouldn't have it. They were biblically orthodox. But here's the thing. You can be straight as a gun barrel theologically and be as empty as a gun barrel spiritually. Just because you know things that are in the Bible doesn't make you a spiritual person. And this is, the, this is the danger of us who've been in church for a long time. This is the danger for us who've heard a lot of preaching. For those of you who've come to church on a Sunday night, you've been into the routine, you understand this is what we do. And uh, you've heard a lot of messages from a lot of great preachers. This is our danger that we can get a lot of information but not have a walk with God spiritually. You say, we're a church that will unapologetically speak the truth. But do you speak the truth in love? Because that's what we're commanded to do. The Lord commends them for their dedication. The Lord commends them for their discipline. I mean, preachers would love to pastor the church at Ephesus. They were a working, laboring, enduring church. They were an orthodox church. It was an extremely impressive commendation from the Lord. But then we get to the negative words here in verse number four. Nevertheless... Paul saying, or John saying, having said all that, having given all these positive statements, having said everything so wonderful about the church, the Lord says this through the apostle John. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And what in the world could the Lord have against a church like that? And you know the story here. You know where we're going here. He says this is a church that has been built on winning souls. It's a church that's working like few churches are working. But I and I believe Jesus said this to John. In a, in a sorrowful voice here, I have somewhat against the Ephesus. i got a problem with you because you've left your first love. When you went to Ephesus, you saw the outward activities of the church. Everything looked fine. Outwardly, everything is perfect. Everything was in place. Everything looked good. And the Lord who looks in the heart examined the church at Ephesus, and he says, i got a problem with you. You've left your first love. First love. What is first love? In the Greek, first love means First love, okay? Let's well, it's not overcomplicate it here. It's it's initial love. It's it's like engagement type of love. You know, I mentioned we've got all these kids getting married and everything now, and every time somebody gets engaged these days, I'm like, does your mom and dad know that? You're like, you know, does the state of Mississippi allow you to get married? You guys are kids. Uh, and they, But they're so in love. Some of you remember that. Some of you are like, I, I ain't never been there. <laughs> it was a contract. Uh, no, we... That first love is engagement type love. Jeremiah says this, I remember the love of thine espouses when thou wentest after me in the wilderness. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven two about believers, he said, I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The relationship of believers to the Lord Jesus is pictured in the Bible as a great love story. It's, it's pictured as an engagement. Jesus looking at his bride, the church. So Jesus is speaking to that bride that he has purchased with his own blood and he says to his bride, you don't love me the way you used to. Now, do you remember that engagement love? Do you remember what it's like to be engaged in the planning of the wedding and all that excitement? Do you remember when you first fell in love? Let me ask you this. Do you remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? A great preacher once said this. He said he was convinced scripturally and experimentally that the Christian experience when you boil it down to its essence, is basically a love affair with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, you read those. Paul, Paul not only gives us two key concepts in marriage. A husband is to love his wife and a wife is to respect her husband. But he compares marriage to the relationship between Christ and his church. So getting saved is that. It's falling in love with Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine hearing from the Lord Jesus, you don't love me the way, she, the way you used to love me? Look, love is supposed to grow. When you love someone, your love for them is supposed to grow over time. I love my wife more now than when I met her, than when I first loved her. Our love is to grow. Love is something that can and should grow. And I wonder tonight, if, you know, is, there a, is there a staff member of the service tonight who the Lord would say, you know, you don't love me like you used to? Is there a deacon here tonight that the Lord would look at your life and say, you know, you've been saved for a long time, you're faithful, but man, you just, you just don't love me like you used to? Is there a Sunday school teacher, the Lord would look at you and say, I've got a problem with you. You teach that class, but we don't have the same relationship we used to have. What a sad thing to hear. First love is a passionate love. It's an emotional thing. Sometimes it causes you to do things you can't afford. I told the story recently. When we first got married, my wife and I were in Florida. Uh, I was working, teaching in a school there. My wife had a job, and she was making more money than I did for a long time. And we got married, and I needed a pair of shoes right away. I needed a pair of dress shoes. And I was going to be in dress shoes every day at the school, and I needed a a nice pair of brown dress shoes. So one day, it was a Sunday afternoon, we got done with church, we took off, we went to the mall to get me some shoes. And I found a pair of shoes. I'm like, oh, man, these are cool. These are sharp. These are nice. Then I turned them over and looked at the bottom, and these are $200. They're going to stay right there. But we were in love. So I put the shoes back in my wife, who was making a good bit more money than I did, said, I'm going to buy those for you. Why? Because once upon a time, she loved me. So, uh, no, she she said, I want you to have them. You're going to wear them every day and you're going to need some good shoes and these will last you forever. And those shoes lasted forever. They were the most uncomfortable shoes I've ever had in my life. They would not die. They lasted forever. She bought me those shoes. We spent money. We had no business. I mean, today we've got no business buying $200 pair of shoes, but she bought those for me and I wore them and I wore them proudly, man. They were sharp. Everybody was oohing and on over those shoes and I had those things forever. You know, first love is like that. You do things sometimes you can't afford. You know, think of the story of uh, of Mary in scripture, the the sister of Lazarus. What did she do? She took perfume that was valued at over a year's worth of wages. And when Jesus came to visit, she did what she could not afford to do. Now, think about this. Let's think in our terms here today. The Bible says there's about a year's worth of wages. So think somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, let's just estimate $50,000 to $100,000 worth of perfume in one bottle. I mean, expensive. She broke it open and she used that to anoint the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she loved him. Love does some, sometimes does things that are extravagant. It's an emotional thing. When you fell in love with your wife, men, and got engaged, how did that go? How was your proposal? Was it something like this that you say, Now, Agatha, I want you to know that you and I have been seeing one another regularly for a number of days now. I want you to know that there is a heart of fondness within me which causes me to extend to you a contract good for the rest of our lives that I will agree to provide for you if you will agree to cook for me. So, in the most formal of circumstances, I want you to know I am proposing marriage. And did she respond and say, Well, Herbert, I want you to know... We don't have an Agatha and Herbert here tonight, do we? I was trying to pick some out there name. I want you to know that you and I have been seeing one another regularly for a number of days now. And after calm and considerate deliberation, I've come to the conclusion that it it would be efficacious for both of us for me to magnanimously accept your lavish proposal. And I agree to the contract of engagement which you are proffering for me tonight and then you shook hands. Is that what happened when you got engaged? If we went around the room and asked you, tell me about your engagement, tell me all the details, you would probably be embarrassed, you know, to tell everybody all the details of everything that happened when you got engaged. Why? Because engagement, that first love, it's passionate. It's something that is emotional. Engagement love is emotional love. My Christianity should reflect that I love Jesus and I love him more than I did when I first met him. And my love for him is continuing to grow and my love for him should be passionate. And it should sometimes cause me to do things that people don't understand. Love is a, is a positive emotion. Look at at chapter 2, verse 6 again. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we read that passage of Scripture, and we think, well, good for them. Those Nicolaitans, they were driving a wedge between the laity and the clergy, and they were keeping the people separate from the leadership, and they they were teaching some doctrines that were really, really wrong, and good for those people of Ephesus. It's a wonderful thing to be commended for. But in Ephesus, their love was a negative emotion at best. Their love for Christ was manifest in the hatred of evil. They were known more for what they were against as opposed to what they were for. Often those of us who've forgotten how to love will specialize in hating error. Now look, error must be hated. There is something wrong though when the Lord has to endorse your negativity because he can't find anything positive. Now think about this. This is what they were known for. They, everybody knew what they were against. Well, what are you for? We don't know. But we're, we're against a lot of stuff. And if we're not careful as Christians, this is what happens. We, everybody in the community, we're going to know what we're against. We're against that, and you're wrong on that, and you're wrong on that, and I can't believe you're doing that, and you ain't separated enough, and you're not doing this right, and you're not doing that right, and I can't believe you changed your service time to that time. We don't do that at our church. We follow the Old Testament here. We do church on Sunday night at 5 o'clock, dadgummit. You know, we'll get all wrapped up in all these details and let everybody know what we are against. Well, when was the last time you told somebody what you were for? Are you for Jesus Christ? Do people know your love for the Lord Jesus Christ or do they look at you as the jerk who's against everything? I told you I was comfortable here, all right? So, look, many of us, and I'm, I, again, this is, I'm pointing the, my, my, the fingers at myself first and foremost. We're, we're proud to tell everybody what's wrong with everything that they're doing and all the other Christians in town, and all the heathen in town. We can tell everybody what's wrong. We can tell everybody how they're doing things incorrectly. We can take every jot and tittle, just like the Pharisees did, by the way, and we can look at everything that they're doing incorrectly. And that's the only good thing that people can say about them, that people can say about us. What a shame would it be for people to say, at Central, uh, you know, I, they're mean. That's code for it. I know what they're against. I don't know what they're for. You know, for, for all my life, I've heard about freedom in Christ and liberty in Jesus Christ. But yet so oftentimes I heard preachers preach and thinking, man, I, I got no, I'm not getting any liberty or freedom in that. That's just more restrictions and more things piled on top. And as Christians, we sometimes, and for good reason, sincerity, we're trying to serve the Lord. But we want to point out everything wrong that everybody else is doing. And we don't live with the joy of Christ. We hear preaching. I hear guys get up and talk about, you're supposed to have joy. They say it so angry. You're supposed to have joy as a Christian. They're the meanest people in the world. Ticked off at everybody for not living right, but you're supposed to have joy, and I ain't going to have an ounce of it, but you should have it. And as Christians who've been saved for a long time, often we, we lose our love for Christ so wrapped up in everything that we are against. The Lord said, this is one good thing I can say about you. You hated the these Nicolaitans. You sure do hate well. What a sad proposal. Remember the two men that were on the road to Emmaus. Jesus came and walked with them. The Bible says he went in, sat down, and ate with them, and he opened up the scriptures to them, and then he revealed himself to them. They got so excited and so on fire for that relationship with Christ. They even said this, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us along the way and opened up the scriptures? We ought to love Jesus Christ with all of our being, and it ought to show. And look, there are times we have to be against things, but there should be so many more times that people see what we are for. We're for our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're for sharing the gospel. And we're not angry at everybody out there who's in, uh, in opposition to us. The truth of the matter is they need the gospel that we have. And how are we to win a world to Christ when we're, just, when we're arrogant and we treat them like jerks? It's not, that's not what God intended. The love for Christ is a productive love. Look at verse number 2 again, the three words mentioned here. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. Not a thing wrong with any of, the, of these three things. In fact, there's a lot right with these things. But there's a problem that the scripture reveals. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.3. Keep your finger in, in, in Revelation. I want you to look at this here. 1 Thessalonians 1, just back a few pages here. You see those same three words used again. Work, labor, and patience. Paul mentions these in 1 Thessalonians. John says you're known for these here. Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.3. Remembering Without ceasing, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. Same three words Jesus used in his letter to Ephesus, work, labor, and patience, are linked to these three words here in 1 Thessalonians. I know thy uh, remembering without ceasing your work. Not just your work, but your work of faith. Your labor. But it's not just labor, it's labor of love, and your patience, your endurance, but it's not just patience, it's patience of hope. Here's the thing. You can see somebody's work, you can see their labor, and you can see patience. This is something, again, especially for people who serve in ministry. People can see, and we want to work, and we want people to know that we're working, so people can see our work. They can see our labor. They can see our endurance and our patience, what they can't see is our faith, What they can't see is our love and our hope. The first three words are outward appearances of the three spiritual authenticities that should be within us. So, the problem with the Church of Ephesus is they were doing the first three they were doing the work, labor, and patience. They were forgetting the faith, the love, the hope, they were missing the inward. It's good to see the bells here tonight. A few years ago, the bells gave us a, a gift card at Christmas. They gave us a few gift cards at Christmas time. One time they gave us a gift card to Cotton Blues. Are they still closed? Oh, that's so sad. I almost cried when I heard that. They gave us a gift card years ago. We had a gift card, and I think we even had another one. So I mean, my wife, we had money to go to Cotton Blues. So one night, we did what all good parents do, we left the kids at home. And me and my wife took off, and we were going to go out, and we were going to eat a good meal there, and we had a couple of gift cards. We were going to really enjoy ourselves. I mean, we ordered an appetizer, you know. I never knew what those were because growing up, like, there, there was no order an appetizer. I didn't even know what that word meant. But we ordered an appetizer. We even got dessert. I mean, that cheesecake, I was planning on it. We're going to eat, we're going to eat, and we're going to eat our meal, and we're going to get cheesecake. We ate We ate appetizer. We maybe even got two. We got dessert. We got the big entree and all that, and I mean, we were, I walked in that so arrogant, man. I was, we were dressed up, came in there. I got money to spend. Money's no object here, you know. I would leave you a big tip and all that kind of stuff. Then they brought the check, and I told my wife, I said, hey, give me those gift cards. She said, you have them. I said, I don't have them. I said, check your purse again. You had them in your purse. She said, no, I took them out and gave them to you. I thought she had them. She thought I had them, and the kitchen counter had them. They were sitting at the house. Now, outwardly, everybody thought that we had money to spend because we ordered everything in the world. We about had to be rolled out of that restaurant. We ordered all this food and all this kind of stuff, and then when it came time to pay, we we were found wanting as the scripture says. Uh, We were not ready to pay. I mean, I had to have Visa bail me out, man. We were in trouble. Outwardly, we looked like we were doing the right things and we had it all together and and we had money to spend, but the truth of the matter is we were unprepared. And as Christians, often I think that's where we are. Outwardly, we're here at church. Good night. We even came back on Sunday night when the pastor was out of town. You get a gold star in heaven for that, right there. Uh, You're here in your place. We're we have a a a work day going on here that's wonderful. You got bus routes going, that's great. You got Sunday school classes moving, that's wonderful. You got teen activities. You're volunteering for that. We're cleaning up things around the church. We're fixing things that are broken. We're doing all the things that we can do. As I'm serving as an usher, I'm working in the nursery. We're finding all these places to serve. But yet, we got the first three down. But we're 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 I can't talk. We're losing, we're missing the other three. We've got our work, labor, and patience down, but we're lacking faith, love, hope. Missing those things. Jesus commended them for their labor, but the problem was their labor was no longer rooted in, in love for Jesus Christ. By the way, this is where church becomes a drudgery. This is where church work, serving in ministry. This is where it gets old fast. Because when you're doing it for the recognition, that lasts for a little while. But when we're not doing it for the Lord, and we're no longer serving because of our love for Him, and we no longer have the joy of of Christ in our hearts, then ministry work becomes just that. It's just work. This is where we run into the problems in a local church where now nursery workers are barking at the youth ministry and the youth ministry is aggravated at the adult ministries and, and uh, uh, the people who clean the auditoriums are mad at uh, everybody who's making all the messes. And then uh, you've got church staff bickering for back and forth with each other. You've got people in the church frustrated with the staff. you got people in staff frustrated with, the, with, with church members. You have all this infighting going on. Why? Because everybody's forgotten, out for, they've forgotten about why we're doing what we're doing. So there's all this infighting and all these problems in the church. Everybody's busy and everybody's in their place and everybody's critical of each other. Why? Because we've forgotten our first love. The Lord's saying, you're great, man. You guys do a lot of good stuff. Got a lot of people there. But you're not doing it for the right reasons because you've left your first love. I heard about a missionary years ago who responded to the statement made to him person made the statement to the missionary I think it's wonderful that you go to a foreign field to be a missionary I think it's great that you love those people that much and the missionary said I didn't go over there because I love those people when I went over there I didn't love those people at all I went over there because I love Jesus and I was obeying him but I found out that because I love Jesus Jesus taught me to love those people That's the thing you don't witness to people you don't give the gospel because you love sinners A lot of people are unlovable. Look, we're in a town, man. We're in a town now in Colorado where there are not many churches. There are a lot of wicked people. I I told the church, I found out quickly, CBD on the sign of the store does not mean Christian book distributors. All right? It means something totally different. There are a lot of people that are without Christ, that need the Lord. They're very unlovable. What leads us to give the gospel to people like that? What leads us to minister to people who do not look like us. It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. We've lost our passionate love for the Lord, and we lose our zeal to witness to others. You don't show Christian love and kindness to people because you inherently just love people. You show Christian kindness and love to the others because you love Jesus Christ. Then he gives here a corrective word for the church, and we'll be finished with this. Here's the fix. Verse number five. We'll go through this quickly. Verse number five. How do you fix this? Remember. First word, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember, he says, activate your memory here. Do you remember? Here's the question. Do you remember when you first met Jesus? If you're serving in this church and you're here on a a Sunday night and you're faithful to serve the Lord and you're finding yourself lacking in your love for Christ, how do you fix it? You remember. Remember getting saved. Remember the things that God has done for you in your life. Remember the sin that you were wrapped up in. Go back to those days when things were not real good in your life and remember what the Lord has done for you. This is the big issue with the children of Israel. They've not been out of uh, Egypt very long at all, they came to the Red Sea. Think about this. This is one that blows my mind. The Red Sea parted. When I was growing up, I always envisioned that as the Mississippi River. You know, we, we cross that river all the time. It's a huge river, and I always kind of envisioned the Mississippi River parting. You know, the Red Sea parted. I mean, it just opened up, and people walked through, like millions of them walked through this, uh, this open area in the Red Sea. They experienced Moses striking a rock and water coming out of it. They experienced food being delivered, like, uh, I mean, just the, the first Uber Eats comes down from heaven. I mean, it's right there at their tent every day. At night, they had quail. They had all of these things provided for them. And just literally, a couple of generations later, the children of Israel are in utter turmoil when it comes to their walk with God. There is none. There are all these false religions and false idols being worshipped, and there's all kinds of nonsense going on within the people of Israel. Why? How does that happen? Because somewhere along the way, people forgot. They failed to remember. And we would criticize them. I mean, I've been very critical of the children of Israel. How can you do the whole Red Sea thing and then turn around just a little while later and be sacrificing to a golden calf? I mean, come on. Are you guys kidding me? But yet so often in our lives, we do the same thing. The Lord met our needs. He saved us and delivered us from this over here. Now, a few years later, we got this bill comes along and we're freaking out. God's like, I delivered your soul from hell and you don't think I can meet this need over here? We don't go back to Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, the Lord literally says, I care for those birds. And when one falls, I know about it. How much more do I care for you? I care for the flowers, and I know when a petal falls off of a flower. How much more do I love you? We fail to remember the things that God has done in our lives. So he says, remember. Then he says, number two here, how do we fix it? Remember and then repent. Verse number five, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works repent. Repent just simply means that you turn, you, you turn back to the Lord. Repentance is a change of mind and a heart. Look, we often get so filled with pride. I mean, we're at church, man. We come to church all the time. And look, I don't care if you come to an altar or not. It doesn't make a difference. But the bottom line is, sometimes we get filled with such pride that whether it's physically or, or spiritually in our heart, we would not dare admit that we were wrong. Because I've been saved since Moses was walking the border of southern Mississippi. I mean, we just had that mentality. I've been here so long, and I've been a Christian so long. We have the idea that I would not have to repent of anything. That's just arrogance and pride. The Lord says, Repent. Get off your high horse. Get off your sophistication. Fall back in love with Jesus. Remember, repent, humble yourselves, and then repeat. Look what he says there. Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. Start doing the things you used to do. It's very simple. Get in the Word of God again. Do you remember what it was like when you got saved and you got the Bible? You didn't understand half of it, but you were reading it because you were told to, and you got into it. Maybe you weren't this way, but I know people, man. We get into the Bible, we read it. We're, we're in the middle of discipling a couple now, and, uh, and they are so, so, they're, they're extremely educated, smart people, but they are so uh, uh, new to Christianity. So every week they come in and they have questions. What does this word mean? What does this phrase mean? We have one, the lady came in, she said, look, I got a problem. The Bible says this, and I got a problem with it. I mean, she was not joking. I don't, i am got a problem with God about this. Explain this to me. And we start going through Scripture, and we're, we're watching people that are soaking in the Word of God, and it's been convicting to me, because they're coming in with stuff like, what does this mean? What does this mean? I read this this week. You told me to read this, and I read it. What does it mean? I am thinking, man, how, how long has it been since I've had that zeal to learn from God's Word? What do you do? Go back to your first First actions. What did you first do when you were dating? When you were first falling in love? How many dates did you go on? How much time did you spend together? How many hours did you talk on that cell phone? All right, how we spend so much time. This, this generation today, us old people, we didn't have cell phones. We did it the old-fashioned way. We wrote letters. All right, uh, we would, you, you spend so much time communicating and talking. The Lord says, that's what I'm missing. It's great that you're here on Sunday. You ought to be. And it's great that you're back on Sunday night and you ought to be. And it's great that you were serving in all those ministries and everything that you're doing and you're slap worn out from it. And that's wonderful. But I miss talking to you. The Lord says, go back to the first, first things. Then he gives a warning as he closes. Verse number five. Remember, repent, and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly. I'll come and I'll remove the candlestick. Out of his place. And the Lord gives a warning. He says, it's either revival and return or it's removal. You no, know, God did that. Go to Ephesus now. It's nothing but ruins. There was once a great, thriving, incredible church there. It's not there anymore. What happened? All you go there and see is, is a place with, no, with just rubble and ruin. There's no church there. There's no gospel witness there. They were a light for Jesus, had some of the greatest preachers in the history of the faith. Guys we read about, guys who wrote scripture. But the church at Ephesus did not repent, so God reached in and he took the light. You know, a couple of nights ago at our house, I went by, light switched, and I turned the light on. The light bulb flickered and went out. So what did I do? I went over and unscrewed the light bulb, threw it in the trash, put a new light bulb in. This is what the Lord's saying here. He said, just like you get rid of the light, I'll do the same thing. If you don't repent... If you don't get things right, I'll remove the light and I'll put that somewhere else. The Lord said, repent or I'll turn out your light of usefulness. This is something that we ought to be aware of. Maybe this isn't you, but it's something that you ought to be aware of. Maybe this is you. You've been in church for a long time. You've served the Lord and you've done all these things in your service for Christ. You're holding on to as giving you some type of merit in the church and before Jesus Christ. And he's saying, wait a second, that's all great, but I got a problem with you. You don't love me like you did before. You know, we sometimes kind of look at, at new Christians. Wow, that's, that's great. They're so excited and on fire for Jesus. That's wonderful. They'll mellow out over time. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 that's what I want. That's what I want. They may not know everything, and they may not say everything the right way and do everything the right way, and they still may have some sin, in it, but that relationship, that's what I want. And I don't know about you, but, man, that's convicting to me. There's been a time I've been closer to the Lord. And I've got to fight to get back to that relationship with him. We got to get back to the walking with the Lord. We got to get back to the right relationship of loving him or he'll take away our light of usefulness. Let's pray together tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this evening. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be back here at Central.